hello everybody and welcome once again to Linux in the Ham Shack and hello, happy new year to everybody. Uh, we got big things coming this year, but right now we have no idea what they are. Uh, my name is Richard, KB5JBV, and uh, I would like to introduce you to the most important part of the show up in the Booby Mountains in Arkansas, uh, Russ, K5TUX. Say hello to everybody, Russ. Hello, Richard, and hello, everybody in the chat room, and hello, everybody listening. This is Russ, K5TUX, the other half of this extravaganza we call Linux in the Ham Shack. So welcome to Studio 1N Between the Peaks in the Pine Forest of North Central Arkansas where tonight we are going to record episode number 70. I do want to apologize for taking so long to get the last three episodes out, but they have all been released now, so everybody is going to have a bunch of podcast listening to do in the next few days. By the time everybody gets through those episodes, this episode should be released. It'll be a nice sequence of things, and it'll be sort of our our Christmas present to our listeners. So that's about it for me. So, well... Okay, that's not about it for me, but that's all I'm going to say for the beginning of the show, because apparently I have a bunch of talking to do later on, so I will send it back to Heartland, Texas. So what's going on with you? He didn't say hello to the people in the booby mountains. Well, the people in, most of the people around here, or all of them, as far as I know, don't listen to the show, so I don't have to say hi. Then why, why haven't you been out promoting? Don't you work for the, the internet service up in there? Can't you slip some, uh, some push ads in there on them or some kind of stuff? Well, I don't know that it would do any good. I could try. <laughs> yes, there has to be amateur radio operators, even in Arkansas. Oh, yeah, there are. I'm just waiting for 85CP to say, hey, I'm in this area. But he's not saying anything. You know, go go where you smell burning copper and then go the other direction. <laughs> burning copper, other direction. Hey, my, my neighbors don't complain about me using the radio, so I don't think I'm burning up anybody's TV sets or stereos or anything. Well, I was more talking about uh, them cooking off in the woods. Oh, I see. There's not enough woods around here for, for a still. They'd be caught in, in a minute. Unless they put it in their garage. See, that's the deal. Down here, we got people cooking meth, and they do it in their houses. That's why we have a lot of houses explode. Oh, we have a bunch of those, too. I, I tend not to pay attention. <laughs> I tend not to pay attention to all the burned out shells of mobile homes where people were cooking meth. And there you have it. Welcome to Meth Lab in Ham Shack. Meth Lab in Ham Shack. No, this is Linux in the Meth Lab. Uh, that too. <laughs> they got. They got to keep records somehow. Got to keep records somehow. All right. Well. Uh, everybody knows this show's a little time delayed, so we're in the process of running up on Christmas. It's just a few days off, and uh, things around here are definitely, well, you know, I can't complain. This year's been better than last year, <laughs> but it ain't been near as good as some the year before. So we're going to move on along, get things going. I want to say a couple things about the other show. I sure do bring it up a lot over here, especially... You just think it had died out because it don't get recorded no more. But uh, I think people are probably wondering the same thing about this one. Oh no, they get it. They get it fairly regular. They're going to get it more regular too because I'm not going to keep putting it off. I've been real busy, but I have been putting it off probably more than I really needed to. 
I don't know if I just needed a break or what, but I definitely will get on top of it because I actually enjoyed putting out the last three. So, well, there you go. See, we are, we are the show that has the, the highest cheese content of any other show. So sometimes it moves right on along. Sometimes it just kind of hangs out. Sometimes it has to age. Ooh. Well, just, I hope there's a exhaust fan somewhere nearby. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> so, uh, the, the other show, uh, I've been putting some thought to it. I've been getting some emails that people would really sorry to see it go. It was really good resource and all this other stuff. And I just want to go ahead and say, you know, the biggest, biggest problem with keeping the other show going was the fact that I was doing it all by myself and devoting a lot of time, had to put that time to other uses and everything else. Here's what I would like to hear from uh, those who are listeners of this show that were listeners of that show when it was active. Would you be interested in that show coming back if it was a situation where, I don't know, it was like a dollar an episode. Now, I know that sounds kind of commercial, and I probably shouldn't be talking about it on Linux and Hamshack, but I would like to get some input on this because uh, the main reason I couldn't devote the time to keep that one going was because I had to use that time to try and make some money to pay my bills. And with amateur radio, podcast, and all this other stuff, it's all hobbies for me. You guys have really helped out over the years. I mean, I don't have a problem bringing the show back. In fact, I really enjoyed doing Resonant Frequency, but it just got to the point that it was too much of a drain of resources. So uh, if any of y'all are interested in that, and hopefully Russ will clean it up so I don't sound like a total jerk when I, when the episode comes out. And <laughs> this may be the only episode where I actually put stuff in rather than take it out. <laughs> huh? No. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, well. I'm funny in my own head. Ah, there you go. Uh, Anyway, um, that's what I'd I'd like to get some input from you guys and see what y'all think about it. It, This is one of those things, you know, the very first time I asked people for donations on the other show, I was terrified. Well, this is about like that. So y'all send me some input. Let me know. Uh, Hell no, I wouldn't pay for it. I wouldn't piss on it if it was on fire, that kind of stuff, or... Hey, you know, that's a great idea, and I wouldn't have a problem with that. So uh, y'all contact me via email. You don't need to send it through the website. You can just send it to kb5jbv at gmail.com, and we'll we'll see how that goes. Okay, what else have I got here? I got something else less dramatic, if I can find the freaking website. No, I got several other things, come to think of it. Let's get that to come up while well, we talk about other things. Yeah, let me let me do my first thing in the Etherpad um, because hopefully some folks will be interested in that. Okay. I would like to sort of semi-announce the fact that the Black Sparrow Media Network, which Richard started, uh, when did you start that? Uh, crap. <laughs> uh, rough guess is okay. I don't know, four or five years ago. Okay. Now, originally, you wanted it to be kind of what I'm making it now, right? No, well, just a one-shop media, a one-stop kind of media outlet. I haven't, I hate to say this, but I haven't been over there in a while, Russ. Well, why don't you go over there right now? The .net site is the official site. I guess you got the .com pointed over. Yeah, we need to fix that. But, uh, yeah, 
are you saying yes to what I just said, or are you just saying yes in general? No, I said I needed to fix that. Oh, you need to fix that, right. Yeah, that's pretty much what I was talking about. Okay. There was some other semi-commercial stuff that I intended on putting in it in the first place. but Well, maybe we can discuss that and work on putting it in there afterwards. But at least I, I think you wanted to sort of aggregate content. Yeah. Okay, so that's what the BlackSparrowMedia.net site is now, is an aggregate of all of the content that comes from the Black Sparrow Media Network. And currently... The Black Sparrow Media Network encompasses Linux in the Handshack, QSK Netcast, whenever I get around to putting out another one, and Richard's Radio Adventures, and or Resonant Frequency, or whatever it's called this week. So, Next week it's going to be the Pink Panty Parade. Well, that, that might get some hits. There you have it. So anyway, there's a couple of things I want to announce about that. One is that there is, I, I don't know if I said this already, but if I didn't, there is a BlackSparrowMedia.net rss feed and it's over there at blacksparrowmedia.net and if you put that into your podcatcher you will get in date order all of the episodes of qsk lhs and resonant frequency and you can do that all in the one feed just the black sparrow media feed so you don't have to have three individual feeds now if you like having three individual feeds then you know do that or if you're not interested in my other show, then, you know, do, do that or, you know, whatever. But it's an option available to you should you wish to subscribe to Black Sparrow Media and whatever other content shows up there in the future. Now, the second part of that is that I have signed up with a service that helps you create mobile apps. And I have created a Black Sparrow Media app for Android, and for iPhone and iPad, and iTouch as well, if you have one of those. Now, right now, the Android app is available because I haven't gone through the process of all of the things you have to do to publish on iTunes, but I will be doing that shortly. If you're interested and you have an Android device or an Apple mobile device, you can go to the blacksparrowmedia.net. There's a QR code there that will link to the website where you can download the Android app and soon the Black Sparrow Media site or Black Sparrow Media app will be up on iTunes as well. Uh, the direct URL is blacksparrowmedia.mobapp.at. Now it's uh, not done. It's uh, getting there and I'm working on it all the time doing the extra development it needs to get it to where it's supposed to be. But it basically gives you access to the feed, to the websites, to Richard and I's Twitter information, Facebook, and a bunch of other stuff. And it will have more things as time goes on, but it's a good place to start. And it's a free app on both platforms, so everybody should feel free to go to that website or go to blacksparrowmedia.net, click on the QR code, download the app, and try it out. And feel free to send feedback for features you'd like to see, whether the app just sucks. Uh, you know, tell us what you think. Anyway, give the mobile app a try and uh, let us know how it goes. So now I guess I can send it back to you where you can comment and then give us your next bit of info, announcement, whatever. Yeah, well, see, that's the deal. 
uh, mobile apps are good. I don't have anything to run them. <laughs> uh, I don't have my, the boy's got iPad and he's got two iPhones and everything else. I, on the other hand, have the cheap phone they give away when you sign the contract. But that's okay. Y'all go on over. You know, I, we don't talk enough about Black Sparrow Media. Uh, we don't talk uh, near enough about it still being still being around. And, uh, yes, definitely uh, go over and you can get all the shows in one feed, uh, what there are of them. If they end up being in more videos, I imagine they would probably show up there, too. Y'all go over and check out, uh, check out the Black Sparrow Media website. Uh, check the uh, mobile app. Model. Yeah, yeah. It's like a Bruce Lee film. Um, go over and check the mobile app out and uh, give us some feedback on it. Russ really wants to hear what's going on with it. And uh, that was way better than mine was. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, sorry, I didn't mean to, to show you up like that, but go ahead and give us yours. Well, that, no, that's fine. I hate asking for money. You know, y'all hear me do the senior, senior donations thing every once in a while on the show, but I really hate doing it. And, uh, that's discussion I had with Jerry, Jerry Taylor more than once because he hates doing it too. Um, next thing is I got an email from a guy that was, uh, sending some, and I can't find the email, but I wanted to go over here and talk about his website because, uh, he's got a blog, fellas, uh, AC8JO, uh, Andrew. AC8JO has blog at, uh, what is it? AC8JO.us. AC8JO.us. And, uh, he's doing a series over there about, uh, Linux and amateur radio, a series of posts. And he plans on going down through logging, digital modes, sound modems. He's got a whole list here of what he's, uh, uh, shooting for on his blog. And one of the things that the thing that really brought it to my attention is that it, uh, he mentions this show. <laughs> so if he's mentioning this show and he's mentioning me and Russ, is I mean, if he's mentioning the show, then we can mention him. Y'all go over and check out his website. That's www.ac8jo, ac8jo.us. And, uh, I mean, it's a blog, but he definitely is planning on putting a few things into it and doesn't look like, uh, doesn't look like a new one. It looks like it's been around a while. So y'all go check it out and tell him you heard about it here. So what else you got, Russ? Do you know how you found that? Because I just realized that I haven't seen a Google alert in a long time and I wonder if mine have expired. Well, it either came in as a Google alert, as an email, as a, a ping back on uh, the uh, other website, I really don't remember for sure because I was looking for it before we got started and uh, couldn't find the email. When uh, oh look, it was a uh, it was a comment over on the resonant frequency websites where he was talking about it. Okay, well that that's just going to remind me to update my Google alerts anyway because I definitely got to get a hold of those. See, that's the problem. They go for like a year or something, and then they drop off the end. And yeah. you know what? If I don't see one for a little while, and after a year, I'm not going to remember that I even did it. They, oh, yeah. they should, you know, update those every couple of months or something so you don't forget about it. But anyway, yeah, he says that, uh, and rightly so, that the website for Linux in the Hamjack hasn't been updated. 
in a couple of months, and that post was on the 19th, which was, what, yesterday. So uh, I'm going to have to leave a comment over there and tell them, go look again. (laughs) Well. It's my fault, I know. But, you know, I can still say, hey, there's content. You know what? This guy updated his blog, let's see, October to December. So he's not exactly writing writing articles every week either. So <laughs> Yeah, well, if you look at my blog, it's even worse than that because I just posted a movie review a couple of days ago, and my last entry before that was in February of 2009. So <laughs> that's, that's about the most irregularly updated blog on the Internet. Shame on Russ, everybody. Yep. Shame on Russ. Can you tell I've been busy? I uh, know you've been busy. I know. All right. So, well, let me, uh, do you have anything else or do, uh, can I do I this last sort of addendum thing? I don't think I have anything else. Well, let me, let me get through this thing real quick. Sort of a combination of feedback and non-apology to one of the comments we got on the website from leave KC8RWR. So we'll, we'll do one of his as feedback and one right now. This came in as a comment on episode number 67 from Leaf, KC8RWR, Kilo Charlie 8, Romeo, Whiskey Romeo. This came in, when did this come in? Came in today. Came in this afternoon. Leaf says, wow, what did Cups do to you? How could you say such an awful thing? Cups wasn't originally written by Apple. They hired its developer, Michael Sweet, owner of Easy Software Products, and bought the source code eight years into the project. So I was going to apologize to Leaf for making such a, you know, gross error, I guess, about the origin of Cups. But then I saw where he got his information, which is from Wikipedia. And I just happened to have that site pulled up over here. And it says in Wikipedia, the history of Cups is... Michael Sweet, who owns Easy Software Products, started developing Cups in 1997. First public betas appeared in 1999. The original design of Cups used the LPD protocol, but due to limitations in LPD and vendor incompatibilities, the Internet Printing Protocol, IPP, was chosen instead. Cups was quickly adopted as the default printing system for several Linux distributions, including Red Hat, in March 2002, Apple Incorporated adopted Cups as the printing system for Mac OS X 10.2. In February 07, Apple hired chief developer Michael Sweet and purchased the Cups source code. So this is where KC8RWR is getting his information on the origin of Cups. Now, if you read that, and we all know that Wikipedia is always true all the time, then that is apparently the story. But I got my information from the cups.org website, which, as you know, you can probably guess, is biased in Apple's favor because it's now owned by Apple. But what the cups.org website is, or what it says, is Cups is the standards-based open-source printing system developed by Apple Incorporated for Mac OS X and other Unix-like operating systems. Now, that's where I got my information about the origin of Cups. Therefore, I said that it was developed by Apple, because that's what it said on the Cups website. Now, if you look down at the bottom, it says, you know, all the materials copyrighted by Apple, blah, 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 blah. So I probably should have taken that with a grain of salt, but you also have to take the information on Wikipedia with a grain of salt. 
So therefore, that's why this is a non-apology, because the information that I got and the information that came from another source are conflicting. I guess just take it for what it's worth. And that's what I wanted to get out there, is that I don't think I was necessarily incorrect in what I said. I mean, I probably am. Wikipedia is probably right. But I didn't bother to consult Wikipedia, so I apologize for my uh, maybe providing incorrect information. So if you want to believe that Cups was developed by somebody else and stolen by Apple, you can do that. And if you want to believe Apple, believe Apple. So there. Now everybody who's a fanboy is happy and everybody who isn't is happy. Well, there you have it. Now, you got you got to remember that a huge website, a massive Internet undertaking that is kept current by anybody that wants to put in an entry has to be accurate. So we know that the Wikipedia outweighs anything else. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I see the almighty Wikipedia. So you got to wonder that if they really had the hands on the pulse of the Internet, that they wouldn't be having to put ads up at the top of the page about send us money. Yeah, they'd have some of them people writing this stuff, chipping in a few bucks. Oh, I'm one to talk. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway so that kind of kind of leads us in. Well, we took care of that, didn't we? All righty. So uh, I think we probably wasted enough time. Let us go and take a short interlude. We'll be right back. And we are here for part two, part two of, uh, this, what, uh, I forgot where I, oh, Linux in the ham shack, uh, part two of Linux in the ham shack. Welcome back, everybody. We've had people going out the door to pick their children up, listening to us on the new iPhone app. Yeah, buddy. And our Android app. It yes. was one of them. iPhone app is yeah. coming soon. Android's already out there. Oh, the Android app. Okay, y'all go get the Android app and run it on your iPhone. Life is good. 
Yeehaw. Yeah. Whoopie doopie. All right. Richard done a lot of talking lately. And even though Richard likes to hear the sound of his own voice, that's one of the reasons that he got into this particular thing. This time, Russ is going to talk. Russ has got like all this good Linuxy, technical, super Linux geeky. I'm not sure when we got all the trademarks on all the stuff that we say, but we did. Uh, but Russ is going to take it away. So go ahead and snatch her up. If I have a question, I'll, I'll stop you. Oh, good. I hope you have questions. Me too. <laughs> okay. The first thing I want to talk about, these are just a couple of things that have come up at work. Well, the first one is something that's come up at work, and the second one is something that came up in an episode a couple episodes ago when I talked about a cool feature that Bill Googled for me, and I wanted to expand on that just a little bit. But first of all, we have a situation at work where we're going to want to be able to multi-home or channel bond Ethernet connections to our Linux devices. And so I did a little bit of research about that to see if there was a way to do that under Linux because it's a helpful thing. Now, this is a bit of an enterprise topic more than a home office or personal type topic because it's not likely that you're going to have multiple network devices to plug your computers into at home. But if you ever find yourself in a situation where that might be useful to you, it's interesting to know that Linux has a way to do this built in. And it's a pretty simple process overall. Now, you may be asking, what do you get when you channel bond to Ethernet ports on your computer together? Well, you get a couple of things. The first thing is resiliency, because if one of the network devices happens to go down or one of your network cards happens to go bad, your computer doesn't go offline. You still get to work, because as long as one of the two links is connected, you can continue to work and continue to have net access. And this actually works for more than two devices. I'm not sure what the upper bound is. I don't know how many Ethernet devices you can bond together, but in this particular example, we're only going to be bonding two. Now, this is based on an IEEE standard, 802.3, which has to do with Ethernet networking, and this is the subsection AD. So this is 802.3 AD. Some companies have used special terminology to describe this bit of Ethernet bonding. Cisco calls it port channel. Uh, other companies have called it Ether channel. But it all uses what's called LACP, or the Link Aggregation Control Protocol, in order to take more than one Ethernet interface and combine them into a single Ethernet interface using a single IP address having more than one link. Now, to jump back for a second, the other thing you get from this is I believe you get more speed when the links are actually bonded. If I remember right, the protocol allows you to utilize the bandwidth uh, minus some overhead of both links while both links are up. So if you have two, say, 100 megabit links, you would have an aggregate of about 200 megabits. If you have two gigabit links, you would have an aggregate of about two gigabits. And if one of them happens to go down, then you still have half of that bandwidth available to you, and your network doesn't go offline. So, you know, you can see how this might be a useful thing. As I said, it's more of a 
more of an enterprise topic than a home office or a personal topic, but, you know, there you have it. But the, sim- the simplicity of it is pretty amazing. Basically, what you have to do, and this, this works for pretty much any uh, Linux system, is you have to install a package, and I believe on RPM and dev-based systems, it's called the same thing. It's called ifenslave, I-F-E-N-S-L-A-V-E, and that's for interface enslave. And you just install that package, and it basically allows you to create what's called a bond interface, B-O-N-D. So what you do is you configure your network cards the way you would uh, normally on your system, but then you have to create a modules.conf file where you alias your like ETH0 and ETH1 as bonding interfaces. So you do that, and then in your network config file, which is either like in slash Etsy slash sysconfig in Red Hat type systems, or in slash Etsy slash network slash interfaces on Debian type systems, you put an entry in there that references a bond zero interface, B-O-N-D zero, as opposed to ETH zero and ETH one. And that is the sort of meta reference to all the sub ethernet interfaces. And then once you do that, you just IF up your bond interface and all of the component ethernets come up with it. And then there are some procedures on setting like the failover timing and and some other things that are useful for detecting when a link goes down and sending the traffic to the other active link so that you still get your aggregated bandwidth when both are up and you get your single bandwidth and resilient network when one side or the other goes down. Now, there are several resources out there on the Internet. If you Google for Ethernet bonding in Linux, you'll come up with lots and lots of hits. Um, I've assembled a few. I will mention a couple here, and Bill will put the rest in the show notes. Um, But for Red Hat-type systems, a good resource is www.linux-corner.info stroke bonding.html. And for Debian-based systems, you can go to wiki.debian.org stroke bonding with a capital B. And all the information is clearly spelled out there. And it's basically uh, install one package and two minutes of configuration work and you have bonded Ethernet. Most uh, Ethernet switches that you would connect to support port channel, Ether channel, or some other method of starting up LACP. And and you do have to do this on both ends. Both ends have to be configured for LACP. So it knows, so both ends know that you're using uh, Ethernet bonding. Uh, you'll have to check with the configuration manual for whatever device you're connecting to to figure out how to set it up on the other end. This is just for the Linux side. So hopefully that's a uh, reasonably thorough and easy example or explanation of how to set up Ethernet bonding. And if anybody needs this information, I hope it's helpful. So what do you think, Richard? Any questions on that part? Actually, I'm kind of curious why I can see the reason for a hot standby uh, card which uh, you, I don't think you said anything about, but I'm, I'm sitting here reading a little bit while you're, while you're uh, going through it. 
I can see the, I can see the need for possibly a hot standby card because in some cases you really don't want your network to go down while you're in the middle of doing something. I got that part. Um, but the load balancing and I'm a little vague on that, but, uh, what, what would be the useful reason for having, uh, load balancing between the two cards or more cards? Honestly, there's no real benefit to the fact that packets are sent in a round-robin fashion, other than I believe if, if in fact, you, your controller, the bus controller in your computer can send the packets fast enough, you can actually, because it sends one packet out one interface, then the next one, then the next one, it can actually send them out faster than an individual interface. So you, you don't get anything by round-robining the packets other than you can actually sort of aggregate the bandwidth. Okay, well that makes sense. I mean, uh, as for the other thing, having having a standby ready to go, something to pick up the slack if the other one fails. I, I can see all that. I'm a big fan of stuff like that. I'm Mister Redundancy around here, but I was kind of curious about the the load balancing expert. I was kind of curious about the damn load balancing. Yeah, basically, I think that's just an artifact of how the packets are distributed. You could just send them all out one. It could pick one and send them all out one. And then if it failed, send them all out the other ones. But I think there's a certain amount of latency in the failover. So as long as, as you're, you know, if you're sending the packets out all of the interfaces instead of just one of them, then the chance that your failover happens on any particular card that fails will make it fail over faster as well. Okay. Yeah. Also, uh, doing a little bit more research while you were telling everybody about it a while ago. I did find a spot in one of the, uh, at the Linux Foundation that says that there is no limit on bonding devices. Well, there's a practical limit because you can only put so many Ethernet devices in a computer. But right. from a software perspective, okay, there's, there's no uh, technical limit. Okay, I was just trying to help. No, I, I was aggregating what you said into a coherent thought in my head. I wasn't trying to... Uh, steal your thunder <laughs> okay so richard says there's no upward bound on joining interfaces in an ethernet bond you can have well, a thousand of them if you want that's what it says i mean tech is, there's not supposed to be limits on other stuff but we know that there are i know that if i plug in more than if i plug in four devices into this ethernet into this uh, usb hub i got over here and uh, i don't have any power to it it, it don't work Right. See, what we're trying to do at work is not, we're not really worried about the computer side because Ethernet cards and Ethernet interfaces on motherboards tend to be pretty rock solid. We're more interested in what happens when the device on the other end fails. We want to have it so that if one of our core switches goes bad, that we don't lose our machines. So that's the. When Russ has to get up at three in the morning and go fix something, he's not happy. Yes, that's exactly correct. (laughs) <laughs> well i think we didn't probably done made everybody's eyes gloss over on it on this ethernet bonding thing so um anybody in the chat room got any questions before we move on see i got smart enough to ask a question y'all should be that way too we don't drink beer on this show russ has crown royal and richard has tea maybe because he can't afford no beer <laughs> Canadian club, but close. Oh, I thought it was, well, okay. Crown Royal, that was another one, different person. 
That's right. The name is Bond, Ethernet Bond. All right. So uh, that's Ethernet Bonded. What else we got this evening, Russ? Okay. The only other thing that I really wanted to talk about before we hit some feedback is a couple of episodes ago, I believe it is now, we talked about something that I was looking for. I was trying to figure out what package a particular or what repository, rather, a particular package was coming from in my configuration file so I could figure out how to fix it, basically, or beat it into submission. Bill was kind enough to Google it for me and came up with the apt-cache command. And I explained how you could use apt-cache policy to find out what repository a particular package that's installed in your system came from. But then I did a little more research into app-cache and found that it can do some other pretty cool things. Since I never really got to use the app-cache command before a couple of weeks ago, I figured I would enlighten folks on some of the other things it can do. Now, like I said, I already talked about what policy can do, and you can go back to whatever episode that was and find out what exactly it can do. But there are some other commands you can use with it that do some other things. Now, one of those is depends. You can do app-cache depends, and then the name of a package. And what it will do is it will show you all the packages on, not necessarily that are installed on your system, but are that in that are in the repositories. It will show you all the packages in the repositories that depend on the package you named. And it will also show you that if you were to install that package which packages the package suggests you also installed. Not not a true dependency, sort of a soft dependency. It's you know, you'll see that when you app dash get install stuff, sometimes it'll say, you know, this package is dependent on five other packages and I suggest that if you install this you also install two other packages. And this sort of gives you those dependencies and suggestions all in one easy to read list. Then there is the show package command. Now the show package command, which is S-H-O-W-P-K-G, basically shows you some summarized combined information about the package that's in the, the cache. It will show you reverse dependencies. In other words, depends shows you which packages your package depends on. Reverse dependencies show you which packages depend on your package. Now, sometimes that list can be pretty long, so be a little careful about that. If you're just interested in that, in the uh, reverse dependencies, there's also a command called rdepends, which uh, just shows you that information. The show package shows you that plus some other stuff and includes the MD5 cryptographic sum of the package. So that if you're doing an auditing of your installed packages, you can see if the MD5 sum of the cache matches the MD5 sum of the actual package you have on your machine. So you can do that for security auditing or whatever. Now, if you do the stats command, app-cache stats, you don't specify a package. What it will show you is some aggregate sums and aggregate information about all of the packages that are in the repositories you have specified. Now, on my particular machine, all of the repositories that I include contain 42,814 different packages. It tells you which ones are virtual packages, which ones are normal packages, which packages 
are missing from your repositories, how many different version numbers there are, how many different dependencies are mentioned. And in my case, that's over 200,000 different dependencies. And basically just some semi-useful and semi-obscure uh, information about all of the packages that are in the repositories that are available to your system. Now there's also the unmet command. And if you use the unmet command, it will basically show you all of the packages, not necessarily the ones that are installed on your system, but all the packages listed in the cache, which have unmet dependencies. In other words, these are packages where if you tried to install them, they would fail because dependency packages that would be necessary to install from your cache do not exist or exist in an incorrect version. And so you would not be able to install these packages. And if you needed to install one, it gives you the information on which uh, packages are unmet dependencies. So you can either fetch them or figure out some way around the problem or some other way to fix it. And now the big one, if, you, if you've ever looked at the cache itself, there's a directory on the system, var cache apt slash var slash cache slash apt which contains your apt cache. In there, if you actually look at the, well, I can't remember the name of the file, I can't remember if it's archives or something like that, but it, it may be archives. But anyway, it contains all of the information about every package that's in the repositories. If you don't want to have to go searching through that file for information about a particular package, whether it may be installed on your machine or not, you can use the apt-cache show command. And what this will do is it will pull out the information about the, the package that you specify from the cache file, and it will give you all kinds of groovy information. It will give you the name of the package, the version number of the package, how big that package is once it's installed on your, uh, on your system, who maintains it, what architectures it's good for, what packages are dependent on it, or what it depends on, rather, what, what packages it depends on, uh, what packages it suggests when you do the install, a description of the package, including what the executables contained in that package actually do. Not as detailed as the man command, but it gives you a rough idea of, of what the stuff does when you install it. Where to go to get information, including mailing lists. Where to go to find the website of the project for the package you're installing tags which indicate what kind of package it is like whether it's a system utility or a user land utility or a curses based program or something like that priority level of the package the name of the package including the directory tree that exists under the remote package repositories directory structure so if you are actually looking at the website which contains the directory or the repository itself, you can see what directory to navigate into to find the package. The uh, on-disk size of the package and three different cryptographic sums, MD5, SHA-1, and SHA-256. So that's basically all the information you could ever want to know about any package on your machine or off your machine for that matter, because this, this will give you information about packages you haven't yet installed. I've found that, or I'm going to find, I'm sure, that in the future I'll be using the apt-cache command a lot 
for getting information about packages and for doing system auditing. And for those who run Debian-based systems or any other Linux machine that uses the Debian package manager, uh, I want everyone to know that the app-cache command uh, is very useful and very powerful. Hopefully, you are all now familiar with it. And if you have any questions or you know further comments about app-cache or anything else about the apt management for Deb systems, uh, just email the show and we'll try and help you out. So, uh, Richard or folks in the chat room, any questions or comments about that before we move on? Well, while they're, uh, while they're, uh, thinking of something in the chat room to ask a question about, let me tell y'all, there's a boatload of stuff. I've been sitting here typing stuff in this whole time and holding mackerel. I don't understand half of the stuff that's come up on my terminal. <laughs> but you understand enough to know that it's useful, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, a lot of good information here. In fact, uh, what, what did we use as a spare mint over here? Audacity. Audacity, one of our favorite programs that we use all the time. And I mean, it package name, priority section, which I guess is where in the universe repository it is. Uh, who the maintainers are, version number, dependencies. I mean, holy mackerel. I typed in one of them, you said, and my, my terminal went nuts. I can't even scroll far enough back to find the prompt at the beginning. <laughs> that's that's probably the R depends or the show package. Any, anything that shows reverse dependencies tends to uh, have a very long list associated with it. Yes, it's uh, definitely a long one. Y'all go out and check this out. That's one of the things we don't do on this show is talk about uh, utilities and stuff like this. Of course, we try, like... To bring y'all as much radio-related content as possible, but you know you still got to have these utilities to work on the Linux side because um, most people don't use their machine 100% of the time for amateur radio, or if they're using one that's strictly for amateur radio, they've probably got another one running the same operating system that they use every day. So, uh, looks like we've been going another another. Uh, how long has it been? Look like we've been going another 20 minutes here. Uh, you ready for another refresher? I am definitely ready for another refresher. All right. Well, let Russ go and refresh himself, and y'all listen to this.
much to say, I forget to start There goes a day, fading as it passes Forget the pain, let it fall apart It's okay It's on the board Someone's been double booking I've got time How is your Space. The radiators and the floorboards will argue while we sleep. There's water in the walls, stairs make waterfalls. Down in the basement, the soft sound of a river digging deep. So much to say, I forget to start. There goes the day, fading as it passes. Forget the gray, let it fall. All right, folks, we're, we're back. Russ is all refreshed, and, and he, he even powdered his nose so he doesn't give off a shine in the camera. Uh, y'all didn't know there was a camera, did you? Well, he doesn't either. <laughs> all right, so uh, that brings us down to feedback. We got a little bit of feedback. We, we hadn't been doing a lot because we ain't been getting a lot, but uh, we're going to do our best to, to scrape some up. No, wait a minute. Before we do the feedback, uh, Russ, tell me, tell me about this Tim Taylor thing. This is something I heard on the radio the other day, I believe. There is a new sitcom that's going to be coming out pretty soon, and I can't remember the name of it, and I tried to look up the call sign they're using for Tim, K-A-2-X-T-T, and I can't find anything on Google for it, and I don't know if it was just because I don't know what the hell I'm doing or, or what. But supposedly there's going to be a new sitcom, evening drama, or some kind of television program anyway, where one of the crucial parts of the the plot, the overall plot of the show, is going to be that the protagonist, played by uh, Tim, uh, what's his real name? Not Taylor, Tim. uh, I don't know. I don't like him. Oh, come on. Somebody tell me what his real name is. Alan, that's it. Uh, Thanks to Bill. Okay, in the chat room for giving me the the information that I need here. Yeah, there's there's a program coming on called Last Man Standing. Stars Tim Allen, who used to be Tim Taylor of uh, Home Improvement, and uh, as the protagonist, part of his persona is that he is a ham radio operator, and apparently that's going to play prominently into the plot of the show. And Bill says it's already on the air, so. And they gave him the call sign KA2XTT, Kilo Alpha 2 X-Ray Tango Tango, which apparently for some reason that I'm not familiar with is not a legal call sign. Um, Apparently it can only be given out under special circumstances, so no one actually has it. But the reason they used it uh, is because it actually looks like a, a reasonable call sign for a person to have, and it's also a riff on Tim Taylor, the XTT stands for x tim taylor so um anyway a little uh little bit of ham radio and popular culture there and i know you were going to comment on something so go for it 
Well, no, I was just going to say, you know, the sad part is that whenever uh, we end up with a prominent place somewhere, uh, we end up being the butt of jokes more than anything else. The only people that really take us seriously are the uh, <laughs> uh, the government people that we make look good <laughs> as far as the general public. I mean, uh, some of y'all may remember, uh, the newer folks won't, that I had a run in with guys over at Discovery News over the fact that they were always poking uh, or making uh, amateur radio operators the butt jokes over on one of their programs and stuff. So uh, I'll be interested to find out what direction this goes. And uh, My understanding is that it's actually going to paint amateur radio operators in a helpful and useful light. It's not going to be um, at our expense. Yeah, we'll see how, you know. Rich, Rich is the, the glass half empty guy. So he, he's going to be watching for these guys to be issuing a problem. Oh, and, and I was wrong. Be, I, go uh-huh. ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I'm reading the article that Bill posted the link to. And I said his call sign was K2XTT. It's not. It's K0XTT. Cause apparently the show takes place in Colorado. So, uh, uh-huh. anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to butt in. Oh, no, that's okay. We we need the information. Anyway, y- y'all know that I'm, I'm crusty. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't like people messing with my amateur radio operators. You know, I, I can take it, but uh, there's some people out there that, uh, you know, that, that'd be enough to just put them off radio altogether. Of course, they're just barely in in the first place, I guess. But, yeah, that one comes up as uh, not having been issued also i imagine they probably checked the database before they yeah if you read the article it says that they went through the database looking for a call sign that didn't exist and yada 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 there's lots of good information about there and this is on the awrl website and they do talk about sort of the focus of his being an amateur radio operator and how that it's not going to be for comedic effect so you know it we'll, we'll see how it goes yeah that's what i'd be waiting to see just see how it comes out you know uh that's interesting that they actually took the time to do that. I know the uh, call sign they used in contact and uh, something else. You know, I hear a call sign. I go look it up. Yeah, I do, too, because the one in contact is some guy's real call sign, and yeah. his his thing over at QRZ says, you know, I'm not that guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, he he's dead and on Beetlejuice or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, y'all, y'all check it out and let me know how it comes out. I, I mean, I, as far as ABC, the only thing I watch on ABC are dramas because I really don't care for any of their comedies. So, uh, y'all let me know how that pans out. So let's see what we got from Kevin. So t- tell me all about it. Okay. Well, there's not much to tell. This is actually one of those feel good emails. Well, we got this from Kevin, KC9VAN. What are you saying? I hear you talking in the background. I was just saying, long as it doesn't cost me $75. No. No, this won't cost you $75. Ho, ho, ho. So I don't know how long Kevin's been a listener, but this is definitely the first email that I'm aware of that we've received from him. Uh, that's Kilo Charlie 9, Victor Alpha November again. And he says, just writing to let you know I am enjoying the latest episode of LHS. I have been listening to your show for a year or two. Well, I guess I just answered my own question then, didn't I? And just got my ham license in part motivated by your show. Just for your information, I have had the best luck with getting printers to work with Linux by using HP printers 
and I have been lucky enough to get some roadkill ones really cheap from the local Salvation Army. Thanks for the show, Kevin, Kilo Charlie 9, Victor Alpha November. So since printers were your topic, why don't you address that? I was just going to say, uh, yeah, and the, you know, you have to understand that I'm shell shocked because for some time I've been using Lexmark printers. As I was coming over to Linux and that kind of stuff, I was using Lexmark printers. And, uh, unfortunately those things, the, they quit updating the drivers after a year or so. So you'll buy another printer and that kind of stuff. Plus there's not a whole heck of a lot of them that do run with Linux. I've been lucky enough to have one or two that did. I currently have one that does not, but that's okay because I have a secret machine over here that y'all don't know about. However, uh, is, is, I'm glad that I'm glad that you got your license because you've been listening to us. We have released more amateur radio, new amateur radio operators on the unsuspecting public than a bunch of shows that I know of. And that's, that's good. I will be, uh, starting to look for those HP printers. I've met the good thing about HP printers is they use, uh, similar cartridges in a whole variety of model numbers where HP is concerned. And that right there would probably be a money saver. Salvation Army is a little more difficult, but we have plenty of goodwills here. And thank you for you, uh, writing in, Kevin. Uh, we appreciate it. And I'm really not sure what else I need to say. Oh, you don't have to say anything else. I'm just so appreciative. Yes, we're very appreciative. Thank you for the kind words. We do appreciate what you have to say. And uh, one one of the things that's interesting is he mentions HP's printers. And I, I talked about in the episode where we talked about cups, which was episode 67, you can use sometimes the PCL drivers uh, for printed control language. PCL, if I remember correctly, and I'm sure somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, was developed by Hewlett-Packard. If uh, you have a Hewlett-Packard printer, it is more than likely, in fact, I would say pretty close to 100% likely, that it will run using a PCL driver. Well, that's that's the whole point. There's a package you can get now called HP-LIP, HP-LIP. When you install it, if you got a, a Hewlett Packard printer, you install it. Seems like they've got every model number in the thing that they've ever had because the list is quite extensive. In fact, there were two, there were two brand new, uh, network all in ones I was looking at not too long ago that were already in there. I mean, they were pretty new models, hadn't been out on the shelves very long. So yeah, you're pretty, I think, uh, Hewlett Packard may be the direction we're going around here. I hate spending extra money, but, uh, that's a good idea checking out the Salvation Army or the Goodwill. I will say that pretty much all I use here are Dell printers and all of the ones that I've used from like the P1600 on up to the 2135CN color laser that I have now, which in fact is a color multifunction. They all have been able to use the PXL color and PXL mono drivers, which are sort of generic PCL-based drivers from the Fumatic database, and they work with all of those printers. So Dell is very well-supported, at least as far as printing is concerned, under Linux. 
you know what? If Ted keeps being so smart about all this stuff, y'all, he, he is just putting stuff in the chat room right and left while we're talking about this. If he keeps doing this, we're going to start dragging his butt on every single episode. Drag him on. He's going to have to invest big money in recording equipment, equipment and everything else. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I believe we have one more thing to discuss, and then we can move on with our lives. Yes, I was finishing out what uh, looking at what Ted was saying. So what else? Ted, you mean Bill? Whoever it is, whatever that guy's <laughs> name is, that's like an insult or something. I don't know. No, no, oh, no, no they're both good guys. Yes, I know. Okay, well, we do have one more bit of feedback, and this came as a comment on the website from episode sixty-seven, and this is from Leaf again, KC eight RWR Kilo Charlie eight Romeo Whiskey Romeo. And this is actually fairly lengthy, so I'm going to try and get through it pretty quick, unless you want to read it. Bust it up in pieces. Bust it up in pieces? I can read it. Well, no, I'll read it. You can. I'll read it, you comment. I read pretty good, considering I ain't got no learning. <laughs> All right, let me see here. Have you considered skipping the all-in-one printer? I like to keep my scanner separate. I know you're on a budget. I'm using a hand-me-down myself. If I didn't have that, though... I see scanners in thrift shops all the time for a couple of bucks or so. Or you could probably get one or two of them off your local free cycle list. I'll go one more here. The advantage is printers just seem to need changed out a lot, mostly because it gets hard to get the cartridges you like or are just like you are experiencing. If your scanner is separate, it usually lasts a really long time. Then you don't have to worry about the driver headache. Just save a copy of your same config. With an all-in-one, you need to find out where there is Linux support for both the scanner and the printer part. Why make it harder on yourself? So what do you think? Separate scanner and printer? Well, I, you know, I would like to do that. I would like to have the room because I'm a, like a single piece of hardware for a single job kind of guy. That's why it was forever and a day until I couldn't get a separate 440 rig that I had two radios i had a two meter rig and a 70 centimeter rig and didn't have a dual bander until i couldn't get and or until it became extremely difficult to get a 70 centimeter mobile rig so i can i understand what he's talking about unfortunately uh space considerations were a problem before they're even more so now and uh yes he was describing just what i said a while ago that uh uh, using these old Lexmarks, yeah, they're cheap, and the cartridges are fairly cheap when they start out, but then the cartridge, cartridges get really expensive, and they don't have drivers, and uh, don't update the drivers, so they even quit working with Windows machines eventually. Well, I don't have anything to say about that, because I explained my situation before, where the scanners that come with my multifunctions actually have built-in FTP and CIFAS con um, connectivity. So I don't have to worry about using sane drivers and all that crap. Anyway, next paragraph. Uh -huh. Another suggestion for saving money and headache, Canon. Now, when I read this, I thought he was firing printers out of a Canon because Canon, the company, only has two ends. And he put the word with three ends. But anyway, uh -huh. um, yeah, it's likely to be more expensive off the bat than Lexmark, but they don't seem to obsolete the cartridges as quickly. Better yet, they have a lot of models with separate cartridges for each color. If you run out of one, you can replace just that one. And the head is separate. Usually this is much cheaper than replacing all the colors and the print head, 
just because you ran out of blue. Don't forget used printers, too. People dump them a lot just because Windows 7 Vista, whatever, dropped the driver support. What do you think? Well, that's another advantage. Also, I mean, all these printers here have the uh, separate black and color. And one of the problems actually we're having with that all in one, because I did figure out a way to make it work kind of, um, is the fact that every time we go to print something, it nags us about putting the color cartridge in it. But yeah, there's a lot of extra stuff out there. And yes, every time windows upgrades, you lose hardware. So I can see your point there also. And the last thing he says is, I second Russ's recommendation of laser if you can find an affordable one. The big expensive ones you see in offices tend to be really easy to find Linux drivers for. You might find a business getting rid of one. The consumables are expensive, but once you, but one set will last you just about most people's lifetimes in the home. I used one that I found free back in college. It got me through about three semesters printing out homework and such, homework and such blinking error messages that things were running out the whole time. It was still going when I traded it away for something else I wanted. And uh, that was the whole thing there from Leaf, KC8RWR. And uh, thanks, Leaf, for seconding my my recommendation of buying a laser printer. I have never, ever since buying a laser printer, I have never gone back to buying an inkjet printer just because there are so many fewer headaches with a laser printer. Now, I will say I just bought an Artisan 835, which is a an inkjet printer. But the reason I did that is because it can print directly onto CDs and DVDs, which I needed specifically, and I could not find a laser printer that didn't cost many thousands of dollars, which did the same thing. And I got the Artisans for like 150 bucks. So I do still have an inkjet. But the other thing that's nice about the particular laser printer that I have is it's full color and what's interesting about it is that it uses CMYK color instead of RGB which means that for doing high quality printing of photographs for example you can use full CMYK mode which gives you much better color reproduction uh, than an RGB printer uh, because all of the colors are automatically in different um, toner cartridges then you only have to replace the ones that run out. So like his suggestion with the Canon printers that also separate the colors that sort of built into the color laser printers. And uh, I find that the print, the price per page of printing on laser while initially more expensive uh, overall is a huge win. Uh, that's, that's my treatise on laser versus inkjet. Now uh, go. Well, I mean, there's a lot of good suggestions in this particular piece of particular comment. I almost said piece of feedback. This particular comment, y'all go uh, to get the full version, go over the website and check underneath uh, episode 67 uh, down in the comments. And he's got a lot of good points here. And uh, as far as, you know, I lament my old, <laughs> my old dot matrix printer all the time because, uh, I'd, I'd run that thing down to the end of the ribbon, roll the ribbon back. <laughs> I think I probably bought a half a dozen uh, printer ribbons from 1985 to 1995. And I did boatloads of printing. I went through cases and cases of fan fold paper. So, you know, it'd be, I, I lament that all the time, but there, there's a lot of good stuff here. Russ got a second on his laser printers and, 
all this good stuff. Which I, the thing about it is, y'all, I'm not a big printer user. I don't print a lot of stuff. So even when I buy an ink cartridge, if it was just me, it would last a long, long, long time. But we have to print stuff for work. So thank you for your feedback, Lee. Well, I had to print out when I went to Hamvention or this year. I printed uh-huh. I printed out distributions of Debian, and I put the Linux and the Hamshack logo on the CDs. That's why I got the Artisan printer. And, man, uh-huh. that thing works really well. And I didn't mention it. We've been talking about brand names here, Dell and HP and Canon, and I'm pretty sure I didn't mention the, the name of the Artisan. And that's made by another company that everybody's heard of, but I didn't mention. Do you know what company that would be? Uh, the unheard of com- company? Uh, well, okay. You're just not in guessing mood. I always guess wrong. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> okay. Anyway, it's made by Epson. And a lot of uh, Epson printers are actually very Linux compatible. So that's another way to go along with Canon and HP. If you're looking for a printer that's got good Linux compatibility, uh, you can also go with Epson. The one that I cry over in the wee hours of the morning that I gave away for a $100 piece of pottery was an Epson. Uh, now, wistful sigh. However, the piece of pottery I got $100 for. So it just kind of worked out. All right. Well, we hey, didn't get any donations this time. Okay, go ahead. You're going to say thank you for our feedback. Blah, blah, blah. Go, go ahead. I already said that. I was going to ask another question. Oh, okay. You. No. Well, we didn't get any donations. Thanks, everybody, for the feedback. Now, what's your question? My question is, uh, you brought it to mind. Uh, I have another project going on, and I'm uh, wondering if anybody knows anything about printing directly on a CD. Um, yes. Get an Epson Artisan 835. It's probably more money than I got. Um, like I said, I got mine for about 150 bucks. I think they're out of production now, so they're. Uh, let me see if anybody's got one real quick. I got I got a special deal on mine. May have to go with the label method. The label method. Yeah, it's pretty ghetto, but what the. You the yeah, the labels suck. I mean, I I'd pre- much prefer getting printable CDs and doing it that way. That's why I bought the artisan. Yeah, you go with what you got. All right, Artisan 835. Let's see who's got one. Ooh, man. Um, ah, out of Richard's price range. Yeah, they, <laughs> out of Richard's price range noise. Yep. Um, Sony's selling them for 199 I could feed myself a month on $200. Unfortunately, oh, it says no longer available. You know, the Artisan 835 is a really, really nice printer, though. If, if you can afford one, I highly recommend it. Three three hundred bucks, three hundred bucks at Sears. Someday I will. I don't know how I found it for a hundred and fifty, but I'm glad I did because they apparently are a lot more than that now. You know, I think Bill just sits there and Google stuff while he doesn't even listen to the show. He just Googles. <laughs> well, he must be listening somehow because he found it for a hundred and seventy bucks over at Amazon.com. I think he just sits there and Google stuff. Bet he's got one in voice activated Google devices. Yep, there it is. $169.99 over on Amazon. I wonder if I bought it from Amazon. I probably did. They ain't no telling. And I bet if you bought it at Amazon, you didn't click through from the resident frequency website. No, you're probably right. I probably didn't do that. Shame on you. I know. I know you can't click through. I thought the show was over. I thought you were like, I thought you were retired, but you're turning out to be Brett Favre on us over here. 
No, I'm trying to figure out any way possible to get a few dollars coming in here because the type of work I do, I have been painfully aware of the last month that I'm not going to be able to continue to do it much longer physically. <sighs> You're only like 44 years old. Uh, well, I'll be 49 on my birthday and I'm high mileage. I see. That's what you get when you work in clubs for over 10 years. So it's not all highway miles then. Oh, no. no. <laughs> bumpy, bumpy ass roads. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's wind this sucker up. All right. Well, there you go, folks. Unless we've got any more questions in the chat room, we always ask them this question. They never had, they never have anything for us. So, uh, but we ask it anyway because we like them and we don't want them to feel left out because they're kind of quiet, except for Bill over there with his perpetual Google machine. And, um, Anyway, I think that's pretty much got it covered for this time around. I promise as we move further into the new year that uh, we're going to make it happen. We're going to make it better for you. And y'all get to hear Russ talk more often. See, that's the deal. In fact, while I'm thinking about it, before we shut the gate tonight, I want everybody within the sound of my voice to send Russ an individual email and tell him how proud of him y'all are. Because he got in there and he carried the show almost completely by himself tonight. And, you know, Russ does not like to talk. And the, where it's really hard to get in there and talk for a length of time to people when you, number one, cannot see their faces. Number two, can't get any kind of visual or uh, audible feedback from them. And everything else is extremely difficult to do. It's hard to do in a, in a public speaking situation. It's even harder to do when you're recording a program like this. And the fact of the matter is that it doesn't seem to bother me because I just like to hear the sound of my voice. I get kind of lost in the sound of my voice. I'm, I'm, uh, run, I go off into my own little world when I'm sitting there running my head. However, Russ is not that way. So I want y'all to tell him he did a fantastic, superb, wonderful job on this particular episode because he got in there and did the thing in the Bob and the lady. Thing. I, I was on a roll from editing the earlier episodes. That's right. He was on a roll on a roll since we didn't get no questions in the chat room, unless something about light scribe, something or other. Anyway, um, with that, I'm Richard KB five JBV. Uh, y'all can get a hold of me or send me an email at KB five JBV at gmail.com. KB5JBV at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on the social networks, Twitter. There's always people signing up over on Twitter. I'm sorry I don't get over there more than I do. But there's always people signing up over on the Twitter. Uh, y'all come over and sign up on the Facebook. I'm there. Yeah, you have a better chance of finding me there. Uh, or any of the hundred others, Identica, whatever. And um, anyway, come see me. So with that. It's off to the booby mountains. All right. Well, this is Russ K5TUX. You can email me at K5TUX at LHSpodcast.info. Email both Richard and I at info at LHSpodcast.info. I am to be found on all of the various social networks out there, including Twitter, Identica, Facebook, Google+, you name it, I'm probably on it. I'm J.R. Woodman on most of the social networks and K5TUX at 73s.org. Feel free to leave us a comment over at the website, send us email comments, send us email questions. We'll get to you as soon as we possibly can. Sign up for the ambassador program. 
We'd love to have you represent Linux in the Ham Shack at a Ham Fest or Linux Fest near you. You can call our hotline at 1909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1909-547... Well, anyway, it's 1909-LHS-SHOW. Look it up. Something, something. Yeah, something, something. The information's over at lhspodcast.info. All of our information is over there at lhspodcast.info. You can find out when we're recording next, what shows we're going to be at. Make sure to download the app for iPhone as soon as it comes out, or the Android app, which is out already. The information on that will be in the show notes. Uh, You can also check out the blacksparrowmedia.net site, which has a QR code with a link to the app. So go check out that. Also use the blacksparrowmedia.net download feed. If you want to get QSK, LHS, and RF podcast all in one feed. So I think that's about it for me. I've rattled off enough information to make anybody sick. Thanks to everybody for tuning in, especially those in the chat room who are listening live. And to Richard, my fabulous co-host. And to all our other listeners, old and new, for tuning in to episode 70 of Linux in the Handshack. And we hope you all have a happy holiday, or had a happy holiday, depending on when this comes out. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and I'm going to send this one back down to Heartland, Texas, where Richard has moved away from the from the card table and is now at a desk somewhere in the back of the house trying to avoid work or something. And he's going to say... Actually, I'm avoiding the head goats, the, the hell goats. I'm avoiding the hell goats in the back of the house in Heartland, Texas. And I will have y'all, every one of y'all know that I am fabulous. We'll see y'all next time.